You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. We've been talking a lot about the vine and the branches. We've been fasting together as a church. I've been hearing incredible testimonies. It's been so encouraging about people experiencing God's love and abiding. We've talked about Jesus being the vine, right? And that we're a branch connected to the vine. That our primary job, I'm going to repeat some of this, is to be connected to Jesus. When we're connected to Jesus, we bear fruit. And the vine dresser loves fruit. He loves fruit because it makes him look sexy and good. I hope that's not blasphemous. I don't mean to be calling God sexy and good. But you know what I'm saying. It makes God look attractive to the world. And what God is excited about more than anything, is being attractive to the world. And today I'm going to talk about three things. What is our purpose as believers? What's our job? What is our primary responsibility? Okay? Then I'm going to talk about why that's important. So what's important? Why that's important? And then I'm going to talk about how we get that done. And I'm going to frame that within the vine and the branches again. I know you might be tired of the vine and the branches. I'm sorry. That's all I've been reading. That's all I've been studying. That's all my quiet times have been about. And I've got time to be reading other stuff for y'all. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so that's just what I'm doing. If you want me to move off the vine and the branches, start praying for the Spirit to lead me off the vine and the branches. Because <laughs> that's where I am right now. And so I have a friend, to get into this, that when I meet with him, he's like a spiritual mentor of mine. He's a good friend. And he asked me these questions that are just like drilled to the center of what is most important in your heart. And so when you get with most people, they'll say things like, hey, what do you do? Like, how you doing? And you'll start rattling on about like, oh yeah, wife's good, family's good, work, blah, blah, blah. I got this new hobby, blah, blah, blah. I've been hanging out with some, right? That's what we do, right? Well, this friend of mine doesn't let me do that. So he'll ask me this question when we're together. He'll say, Antley, he said, who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? And anytime I deviate into my job or my hobbies or what I'm doing, he says, no, 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 that's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you, how's your heart? Who are you becoming? Which as a, which as a brother in Christ, is, is he's, what he's laying on me, Antley, are you loving God more and loving other people more? Is your life becoming more like Jesus or are you becoming more like the world? And he'll just ask me that one question, and I'm like, done. It's like, you know, and then he spends the rest of the time just encouraging me and loving me and blessing me and, you know, just saying amazing things about who he sees me becoming. It's incredible. But the Pharisees, a lawyer, this, in the New Testament, asked Jesus a similar question. He says, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus says to him, in Mark 12, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall, love, you, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's, there is no other commandment greater than these. So as people who are following Jesus, as people who are seeking to become like Jesus, this is the response to what are we to become? What should become of our lives? 
Are we becoming people who are loving God more and loving others more? That is it. That is it. I went to a funeral, funeral yesterday of a guy named G. Boston, who I used to do Young Life with and, uh, in Jacksonville. And the testimony of his life was that. The stories of people again and again and again. He had like 80 kids that were there that he had adopted through families and through circumstances of need in the Brooklyn area. That Capital Enterprise has recently taken over and developed. That poor community there where the new fresh market is and all that stuff used to be a poor community that we did ministry in, that we'd minister to people in. And family after family stood up or talked about how G had loved them, how he had moved towards them, how he had cared for them, how he had rescued them and done all these amazing things. But the other thing that people talked about was his love about Jesus. He just wouldn't quit talking about Jesus. All he did is he talked about Jesus all day long. He loved Jesus so much. And I thought, when I was sitting there, I was like, that's what I want people to say about me when I die. Antley loved Jesus. Antley loved people. That's what I want to become. That's what Jesus tells us we should be becoming, right? We should be growing in our love for God and then growing in our love for people, okay? So that's the what. This is the why, and this is a little trickier. This is why. Because when we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength, when we love God first, and out of that we begin to love others, what happens is people get excited about God. People are drawn to God. And what's happening is we are glorifying God with the way that we live. As we become like Jesus, as we become people who love God more and love people more, what people see is not you, they start to see God. And when they see God and they see his love for them, they see the power of God in your life, they see God, they're like, oh my God, I want God. That's the response. And that is what it means to glorify God with our life. And that is what we're called to. And that's why we're called to do it. You know, we read the confession, right? We read, I mean, not, not the confession. We read the Nicene Creed, an ancient creed that we've been, the churches, normal churches say every day, every week. They say it, right? We say it once every 10 years here to make it special. All right? I mean, if you saw your parents every 10 years, you'd be like, man, I love you. I want to be with you, right? Well, that's why we do the Nicene Creed. Every, we, might, we might throw it in there every once in a while. Huh? But anyway, um, another thing that came about in the 1500s was what's called a catechism. And a catechism was used as a, as a series of questions and answers that help believers understand what they're to believe, okay? And so the most famous catechisms uh, begin with the same question. And you know what the question is? Some of you do. It's, it's this. What is the chief end of man? Or another way to phrase it is, what is our purpose for being created? Why did God create the world? What's our role here? What are we supposed to do here, right? And if you really want to nail the question to your heart a little bit that makes it relevant, it's this. God, what's your will for my life? That feels a little better. That's like, okay, now you can tell me because I didn't care about those other two. But yeah, I'd like to know, the will for, I'd like to know what God's will for my life is. The chief end of man, it says... It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
And so for hundreds or even thousands of years, actually, we see scripture, we see the creeds, we see the church and its history, and we see the catechisms and the confessions of faith stating this one reality. Our purpose is to glorify God with our life. And as we glorify God with our life, we enjoy him, okay? We will enjoy him. Now, many of us hear that and we go, yep, knew it, knew it, knew it. Look at God, that selfish little mother. I knew it. He wants all of what I have for him and I get nothing in return. And actually, we kind of think it in this, we think about it like this a little bit. Man, I gotta glorify God with my life. I have to live for God in a way that's sacrificial and suffering and well, that's gonna cost me everything. That's not gonna be joy. That's, that's, that's the, that, that, that phrase seems to be like work against each other. Right? We think that our joy, if we're going to be joyful and have fun and have excitement and have adventure, we can't, we can't give it to God because there's rules and expectations and we kind of think about it that way, I think. That's why we dabble and we become satisfied in the world. Scripture says that we trade the true glory for the glory that's fading and doesn't last. We fill our life with things that don't give us life. But anyway, it's a whole other talk. The other thing we think about is like this. Oh, yeah, 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 I get it. On earth, I'm going to suffer so that when I'm in heaven, I'll enjoy him. Let's be honest. That's a little bit how we feel, isn't it? But that doesn't, that seems inconsistent with my relationship with God. And in the 1980s, a, a pastor wrote, he changed one of the words in that catechism where it says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. He said, no, no, no. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And he wrote a book called Christian Hedonism and talked about how as Christians, that God is most glorified in us when we become most satisfied in him. Starting to sound a little bit like the abiding, isn't it? the branch, and the fruit, right? That God is most glorified in our life. The why is accomplished when we become most satisfied in God. When we go to God for life to the full, what Jesus promises, when we go to him, we're fulfilled in him, we abide in him, we seek him, we live for him. What we find out is that all of our great adventure, all of our heart's desires, all of our joy is made complete in him. And the result then is that we glorify him in a way that we never could have if we would have sought out to just glorify him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what? This is why we do it, so we glorify God. But how do we do this? And this is where we're gonna turn to the parable of the vine and the branches because how we do this and what this looks like is where we, get, we trip up a little bit, okay? The parable teaches how to do this without compromising the importance or priority of seeing God glorified because God's glory has to be what's driving us. If we change and make us receiving God's glory, us experiencing joy, us being comfortable, 
us being, even experiencing God's love, if we make that the priority over glorifying God, then when we find ourselves in difficult situations, we'll feel like God has left us. Does that make sense? So when we find ourselves in difficult situations and we know that God can be glorified in these situations, there's a bigger reason it could be happening, even though we don't understand it, even though it's painful, even though it might be in suffering, we stay in it for the greater cause. We don't leave our faith for the greater cause because we can trust that something bigger is happening. There's a greater story being told. It's a little confusing, so I wanna give you an example. If you had a child in the hospital and you're a parent and they're sick and they're in the hospital and you're not getting any sleep because they're in the hospital, someone comes to visit you and they say, dude, man, you must be tired. And you're like, yeah, it doesn't matter. What I'm worried about is my child. There's this thing over, you know, my child is sick in the hospital. I, I haven't eaten in days. I don't care. I haven't had sleep in days. I don't care. I'm not going to go home. Why? Because my child's in the hospital. And there's something bigger and greater calling us to make a sacrificial choice in our life to demonstrate our love. We talk about fruit in a minute. This is important. Because when we bear fruit in our life, there will be times when it will come at the cost of our suffering. When we bear fruit in our lives, it will come at the cost at times of us feeling lonely or God feeling absent. And what will keep you in it with God, going to God, is trusting and believing that he is being glorified in your life as you choose to continue to love him, serve him, and pursue him. It says this in John 15 about fruit, which is what we're gonna focus in on today. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And then we skip to verse four. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. By this, this is a big verse, verse eight. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Lord, come through the power of your spirit and help us to understand what you're trying to say. Amen. Someone said amen over here like, yeah, yeah, because I'm very confused right now. <laughs> amen. Please, Jesus. God is most glorified in you when you're most satisfied in him. Here's a translation into the vine and the branches. God is most glorified in you when you bear much fruit. You will only bear much fruit when you're being satisfied by the vine. Let me say that again. God is most glorified in you when you bear much fruit. You will only bear much fruit when you're being satisfied by the vine. And this is what we've been talking about. This is language that should be familiar to you on the fifth or sixth or eighth week that we've been talking about this. Reminding you, the vine dresser, we said a few weeks ago was God who also said that he is most interested in the fruit because it makes him look good. It glorifies him. The more fruit we bear, 
the more God is glorified. That's what they're saying here. But we said that Jesus, knowing that we will hear that, will start going to produce fruit without his help. We'll separate from him. And we'll start trying to make fruit because it makes us feel good. It glorifies us. And it doesn't bring people to God. That's how we're wired in our sinful nature. And we'll have this tendency to run from that. So what Jesus says is, no, no, no. I'm teaching you about the importance of abiding. Because he knows that we fight the tendency. So he says, I'm teaching you about abiding in me. Because when you abide in me, you will always bear fruit. You will always bear fruit. You don't have to try to bear fruit. When you're abiding in me, you will bear fruit. And he says, and... When you're apart from me, you will bear just a little fruit. No. Someone said that. High schooler. No, it says you, apart from me, you won't bear any fruit. You can't bear any fruit. Why is that? Why would God do that? Because why would, I'll tell you why. Why would he reward you for separating from Jesus? Why would he give you anything? Why would he encourage a behavior that brings death? into your life, which is what happens when we separate from our life source. He wouldn't do it. And what happens when we try to bear fruit, like we try to fake it, like I need to be a good person, so we start trying to be a good person, but we're not spending any time abiding with Jesus, we start operating out of our own strength. And when we operate out of our own strength, who do we draw attention to? This guy. This guy is who we draw attention to. Not that guy. And what's God most interested in? Drawing attention to that guy, not this guy. And so he sets us up in a way that we will only bear fruit that brings life to others and that glorifies God when we are abiding with Jesus. That God is most glorified in our life. I could even say God is only glorified in our life when we are being satisfied and abiding in Jesus. So that's all just to recap. You're welcome. This is what it says about fruit when we look at it, though. We look in verse 2. It says, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Why? Because he wants it to bear more fruit. And then he says, whoever abides in me, how much fruit will they bear? Much fruit, right? And so we have fruit, we have more fruit, and we have much fruit. Yeah, this is all in there. This is why I'm staying in this stuff. I'm learning it. I'm teaching it. You're eating it. It's good. (laughs) Fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. In the history of the church, there's always been Christians who say that they're Christians who are bearing fruit, right? But they wouldn't be disciples necessarily. People who are bearing more fruit. People who are bearing much fruit. And they will bear some fruit. They may even go to heaven. But they will not experience the life and the joy and the fullness and the adventure that comes to those who bear much fruit. So if you're asking the question, how much fruit do I need to bear? which is what you're thinking. I would say this, how much life do you want to experience? Right? 
The measure of life that you desire, the fullness of life that you hunger for, the life that you've been created for, that you're longing for, that you want. How much do you want? How much? Do you want it all? Do you want it all? Then abide in Christ. Give your life to Christ. Sacrifice your life to Christ. Commit only to Christ. Latch into him and don't let go. Live only for him. And the promise is you will bear much fruit. As you bear much fruit, you will experience a greater life. That's what happens. That's what God desires for you. That's what God wants for you. But what do you want? There have always been and there always will be people, like Christy Wimber said, that wade in ankle deep and stay there their whole life. I don't don't want that. I don't want that. I want life to the full. I want to bear much fruit. And if I'm honest, it's not even because I want to glorify God a lot. I want to experience life. That's the beauty of how God has set this up. As he's created in each of us this hunger and this desire for more than we could ever imagine, more than we could hope for, he says, in Scripture. And it's, it's in us, and it's calling out, it's wanting to bear great fruit, to give itself to something that's worthy and powerful, bigger than us. It's there. And God says, come and get it. And the way you get it is by abiding with my son, Jesus. As we abide with Jesus, we bear fruit. And then we bear much fruit. And then, oh, we bear more fruit. And then we bear much fruit. You know, it says we'll know a tree by its fruit. And I was thinking about that. And I was trying to, trying to think of a word picture to connect with us. Imagine this. And this is why this is so important. Because remember, we're talking about loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength so that we glorify God. And the how we do it is we connect with Jesus. We abide with him. We abide with him. We bear fruit. Imagine yourself as a tree, okay? You plant yourself in God's vineyard, right? You start to grow, yeah? And you start to bear fruit, okay? So imagine if you, like, in your mind's eye, that you started spending time with Jesus, abiding with Jesus. Imagine, like, a big grape patch growing off your shoulder. Or like, I got an apple tree over here. I got like an orange tree tail coming out. Or I got like pears growing out of my head, right? And you're just like walking around the world, like just walking around with like this tree, with like there's all this fruit coming off of you, right? And people, you start walking by people, and they're like, man, I'm so hungry. I'm dying, literally, I'm dying. I'm dying of hunger. I'm so hungry. Can I please have some of that fruit? Can I please have some fruit? And you're like, oh, yeah, it's not mine. Didn't come from me. Didn't come from me. And they taste this fruit, and they're like, oh, and it brings them life. And they're like, where did you get this fruit? Oh, let me, sh- let me tell you. And then they experience God's love. And then what happens to them? They become a fruit tree. And they got all kind of fruit grown off of them that looks like nobody else's. Your fruit looks like no one else's because God has fearfully and wonderfully made you. He's created you unique. And the more of us that believe this truth about who we've been called to be, the better we reflect all of God's fruit to a world that is dying, a world that is hungry, a world that needs to experience the love of God, a world that is desperate to know him, to eat and to taste that he is good. And you are God's plan A. 
You are his plan to make that happen. And the way that you bear fruit, much fruit, is by abiding with Jesus, by going to Jesus. I know, we're back to that again. It's like love of the Father. I know, central to everything, and it is. It is. Let's stand.